chapter seven of sons of fire by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain oh the rare springtime allan called at the grove two days after the dance called at the friendly hour when there was a certainty of afternoon tea if mrs mornington were at home and when he thought it likely that miss vincent would be with her aunt she will almost live at the grove he thought as he walked towards that comfortable mansion which was nearly a mile from beechhurst marsh house is so near there is a path across the meadows by which she can walk in dry weather a girl living alone with her father will naturally turn to her aunt for companionship will take counsel with her upon all household affairs and will run in and out every day it was a disappointment after having made up his mind in this way to see no sign of suzette's presence in the drawing-room at the grove mrs mornington was sitting in the veranda with her inevitable work-basket just as he had found her a fortnight before when her brother's advent at marsh house and the dance at the grove were still in the future she received him with her accustomed cordiality but she did not ask him what he thought of her niece though he was dying to be questioned an unwonted shyness prevented his beginning the subject he sat meekly sustaining a conversation about the parish the wrongs and rights of the last clerical squabble till his patience could hold out no longer i hope general vincent likes matcham he said at last not daring to touch nearer to the subject which absorbed his thoughts oh yes he likes the place well enough he has lived his life and can amuse himself with his poultry-yard and will potter about with the hounds now and then when the cub hunting begins but i don't know how it will suit her you think miss vincent would prefer a livelier place of course she would prefer it the question is will she put up with this she has never lived in an english village though she has lived in out-of-the-way places in india but then that was camp life adventure the sort of thing a girl likes her father idolizes her and has taken her about everywhere with him since she left the sacre coeur at fourteen years of age she has lived at plymouth at york at lucknow she has had enough adulation to turn a wiser head than hers and yet so far as a man may venture to judge within the compass of an hour i don't think her head has been turned said allan growing bolder that's as may be she has a clever little way of seeming wiser than she is the nuns gave her that wise air i think they have a wonderfully refining effect upon their pupils do you think her good-looking good-looking is an odious epithet to apply to such a girl she is exquisitely pretty i am glad you admire her yes it is a dainty kind of prettiness ain't it exquisite is far too strong a word but i think she is a little superior to the common run of english girls i hope she may be able to endure matcham after all the country round is tolerably interesting oh i believe she will put up with it for her father's sake if he is happy here only no doubt she will miss the adulation she must not be allowed to miss it all the young men in the neighbourhood will be her worshippers mrs mornington shrugged her shoulders pursed up her lips and made a long slashing cut in a breadth of substantial calico the young men of the neighbourhood will hardly fill the gap she said 
yourself excepted there is not an idea among them that is to say not an idea unconnected with sport if a girl doesn't care to talk about hunting shooting or golf there is no such thing as conversation for her in matcham before alan could reply the drawing-room door was thrown open and mrs mornington rose to receive a visitor her seat in the veranda commanded the drawing-room as well as the garden and she was always on the alert for arrivals alan rose as quickly expecting to see miss vincent mrs warnock announced the youthful footman with a grand air perfectly cognizant of the lady's social importance to alan the appearance of the lady of discombe was as startling as if she had lived at the other end of england and yet mrs mornington had told him that she and mrs warnock exchanged three or four visits in the course of the year mrs mornington greeted her guests with cordiality and the two women came out to the veranda together they offered a striking contrast and as types of the sex were the opposite poles of woman one of the world worldly large strongly built loud voiced resolute commanding a woman whose surplus power was accentuated by the petty sphere in which she lived the other slender and youthful in figure with a marked fragility of frame pale ethereal and with a girlish shyness of manner not wanting in mental power perhaps but likely to be thought inferior from the lack of self-possession and self-esteem all the social advantages which surrounded mrs warnock of discombe had been insufficient to give her the self-confidence which is commonly superabundant in the humblest matron who has passed her fortieth birthday she gave a little start of surprise at finding alan in the veranda but the smile with which she offered him her hand was one of pleasure she took the seat which mrs mornington offered her the most comfortable chair in the veranda and then began to apologize for having taken it i'm afraid this is your chair no 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 sit where you are for goodness sake cried mrs mornington i never indulge myself with an easy chair till my day's work is done we are going to have our tea out here the servants were bringing table and tray as she talked i'm very glad you came to see me this afternoon for i dare say my niece will be running in presently my brother robert's daughter and i want you to call upon her i told you all about her the other day when i was at the manor would she like me to call do you think of course i will call if you wish it but i hardly think she will care i know that she will care replied mrs mornington busy at the tea-table she is not a great performer but she is almost as enthusiastic about music as you are she is a roman and those old masses of which you are so fond mean more to her than they do to most of us alan's spirits had risen with the expectation of miss vincent's appearance he had been right in his conclusions after all he resumed his seat which was near enough to mrs warnock's chair for confidential talk you have quite deserted me mr carew she said with gentle reproachfulness i thought you would have been to see me before now i did not want to seem intrusive you could not seem or be intrusive you are so much more to me than a common friend you remind me of the past of my son you would be almost as another son to me if you would let me think of you like that if she spoke quickly almost passionately and her low voice had a thrill of feeling in it which touched him deeply what a strange impulsive creature this woman was in spite of the timidity and reserve that had kept her aloof from that rural society over which she might have reigned as a queen before alan could reply to mrs warnock's unfinished speech there came a welcome diversion 
in the shape of a large black poodle which rushed vehemently across the lawn stood on end beside mrs mornington's gown for a moment or two sniffed the tea-table wheeled round and rushed off again in a diagonal line towards the point whence he had come this sudden black appearance was followed by an appearance in pale lavender cambric and the tall slim form of a very elegant young woman whose simple attire as at the ball bore the true parisian stamp that indescribable air of unlikeness to british dress which is rather a negative than a positive quality the brilliant dark eyes flashed a smile upon alan as the young lady allowed him to take her hand a l'anglaise after she had spoken to her aunt and been introduced to mrs warnock your poodle is a little too bad susy he nearly knocked me and the tea-table clean over that is one of the aunt's innocent exaggerations said suzette laughingly if you know her as well as i do mrs warnock you must know that she always talks in a large way poor caro he is only a puppy and i think for a puppy his manners are perfect caro was crouching at her feet breathing hard for the space of half a minute as she spoke and then he rushed off again circling the lawn three or four times with spasmodic halts by his mistress or by the tea-table he is rather a ridiculous dog at present apologized suzette fondly watching these manoeuvres but he is going to be very clever he has begun to die for his queen and he will do wonderful things when he is older i have been warned not to teach him too much while he is a puppy for fear of addling his brain i don't believe he has any brain to be addled or at least he must have addled it for himself with that absurd rushing about said mrs mornington dealing out the teacups which alan meekly handed to the two ladies he had been to so many afternoon tea-parties of late that he felt as if handing cups and saucers and cream and sugar were a kind of speciality with him in suffolk he had never troubled about these things his time had been taken up with shooting or fishing he had allowed all social amenities to be performed by his mother unaided by him at matcham he had become a new being a person to be called upon and to return calls with all the punctiliousness of a popular curate he wondered at himself as he performed these novel duties mrs warnock began to talk to suzette constrainedly at first but the girl's frank vivacity soon put her at her ease and then alan joined in the conversation and in a few minutes they were all three on the friendliest terms although the elder lady gradually dropped out of the conversation save for a word or two now and then when addressed by the other two she seemed content to sit by and listen while those two talked as much interested in them as they were interested in each other she was quick to perceive alan's subjugation quick to understand that he was surrendering himself without a struggle to the fascination of a girl who was not quite as other girls who had nothing hackneyed or conventional in person or manner after tea they all went round the lawn headed by mrs mornington to look at her roses and carnations flowers which were her peculiar pride and care if i had such a garden as yours a daydream in gardens i don't suppose i should take any trouble about a few beds of dwarf roses and picotees she said to mrs warnock but these flower-beds are all i have to console me for the philistinism of my surroundings oh but you have a really fine shrubbery urged alan remembering that promenade of the other night among the lights and shadows and the perfume of dewy conifers that belt of deodara and arbutus and rhododendrons and this fine expanse of level lawn ought to satisfy any lady's ambition no doubt this garden of mine always reminds me 
of the church catechism it suggests that state of life to which it has pleased god to call me an eminently respectable upper middle-class garden most detestably modern while the grounds at discombe carry one back three centuries and one expects to meet fine gentlemen in ruffs and doublets with roses on their shoes and talking like that book whose name i forget or abusing the new and detestable custom of smoking tobacco you will be in love with mrs warnock's garden suzette and will give up all idea of improving the marsh house flower-beds no i shan't give up however much i may admire protested suzette sturdily if i had only a cottage garden i would toil early and late to make it beautiful there is plenty of room at marsh house said mrs warnock and the garden is capable of improvement when will you bring miss vincent to see me and my peacocks mrs mornington pray let it be soon your niece and i have at least one taste in common and i think we ought to be good friends will you come to luncheon to-morrow you and miss vincent and you mr carew if you are all disengaged for my part i would throw over any engagement that was capable of being evaded said mrs mornington cheerily and then in an undertone to allen she added it will be a new sensation to eat a meal at the manor this burst of hospitality is almost a miracle allen accepted the invitation unhesitatingly and began to think mrs warnock the most delightful of women and to be angry with himself for ever having suspected evil in her past history whatever was strange in her conduct in relation to himself and to his father must be accounted for in some way that would be consonant with guilelessness and goodness that luncheon at discombe manor was the beginning of a new phase in alan carew's existence all things must begin some day and love serious and earnest love is one of the things which have their beginning and whose beginning is sweeter than all the other first fruits of life it is not to be supposed that alan was altogether a stranger to tender emotions that he had come to five-and-twenty years of age without ever having fancied himself in love he had had his boyish loves and they had ended in disappointment the blighting wind of satiety had swept across his budding loves before they had time to flower all those youthful goddesses of his had shown him too soon and too plainly that there was very little of olympian grandeur about them as an only son with good prospects he had been rudely awakened to the cruel truth that the average young lady has a sharp eye to the main chance and that he alan carew was measured by his expectations rather than by his merits very early in his youth he made up his mind that he would never let his heart go out to any woman who contemplated marriage from a business standpoint and he had been keenly on the watch for the canker of worldliness among the flowers unluckily for his chances of matrimony the prettiest girls he had met hitherto had been the most worldly trained perhaps to worldliness on account of their marketable qualities much as he admired high-mindedness in woman he was not high-minded enough to seek out virtue under an unattractive exterior so he had almost made up his mind to follow his uncle's example and go through life a bachelor as a bachelor he might count himself rich and for a bachelor beechhurst was an admirable dwelling-place the house had been built for a bachelor the rooms were spacious but few twice as many bedrooms best and secondary would be required for a family man thinking vaguely of the possibility of marriage allan had shuddered as he thought of an architect exploring that delightful upper floor measuring walls and tapping partitions and discussing the best point at which to throw out a nursery wing and where to add three or four servants bedrooms and behold now this prudent far-seeing young man whose philosophy hitherto 
had been the philosophy of pure selfishness was allowing himself to fall in love with a young lady who for all he could tell might be just as mercenary and worldly-minded as the girls he had met in suffolk shooting parties or in london ballrooms he had no reason to suppose her any better than they her father was a man of moderate means and according to all the rules of modern life it would be her duty to make a good marriage he remembered how mrs mornington had ordered her niece to save a dance for him and he might conclude from that and other small facts that the aunt would favour him as a suitor for the niece yet the idea of worldly mindedness never entered his thoughts in relation to suzette he abandoned himself to the charm of her delightful individuality without the faintest apprehension of future disillusion he thought indeed but little of the future the joys of the present were all sufficing to talk with her in unrestrained frivolity glancing from theme to theme but always with a grain of sentiment or philosophy in their talk to walk beside her in those stately alleys at discombe or to linger in the marble temple to follow the peacocks along the grass walks to look for the nests of the thrushes and blackbirds in the thick walls of laurel to plan garden plays twelfth night midsummer night's dream in that grassy amphitheatre which reminded alan of the baboli gardens these things made a happiness that filled mind and heart to the exclusion of all thought of the future i can understand the lilies better now than when i was first told to consider them said alan one day as he stood with suzette beside a great bed of lilium auratum how do you mean because i am as happy as they are and take no more heed of the future than they do i feel as they feel when they sway gently in the summer wind and bask in the summer sun fed with the dews of night having all things that are good for flowers satisfied and happy you are as foolish as i am i can't help fancying sometimes that flowers are alive and can feel the sun and the glory of the blue sky to be always looking up at the sky dumb lifeless not knowing one would hardly care for flowers if one could realize that they have neither sense nor feeling yet i suppose one does realize that cruel fact sometimes i know when i have been looking at the roses and delighting in their beauty caro meets me as i go back to the house and as he leaps and frisks about me the difference between him and the flowers strikes me very keenly they so beautiful and so far off he so near and dear the precious living thing ah that is the crown of things miss vincent life dead loveliness is nothing in comparison no said suzette and what a blessing that life is beautiful in itself one can love ugly people one may adore an ugly dog but who ever cared for an ugly chair or could become attached to an ugly house not knowingly but i have known people fondly attached to the most hideously furnished rooms and oh how humiliating it is for middle-aged people like my mother to be obliged to admit that the things we think hideous were accounted beautiful when they were young this easy trivial talk was the growth of more than one luncheon and a good many tea-drinkings in the music-room or in the gardens of discombe mrs warnock had opened her heart and her house to suzette as she had never before done to any young lady in the neighbourhood and suzette warmly reciprocated the kindness of the recluse she ran in at the manor-house almost as unceremoniously as she ran in at the grove it was understood by the servants that their mistress was always at home to miss vincent and as alan had previously been made free of the manor-house it was only natural that he and suzette should meet very often under mrs warnock's mild chaperonage 
mrs mornington knew of these meetings and indeed often dropped in while the young people were there coming to take suzette home in her pony carriage or to walk with her through the lanes she showed no sign of disapproval yet as a woman of the world it may have occurred to her that since mrs warnock was so fond of suzette it might be wise for suzette to refrain from attaching herself to alan carew while a superior parti remained in the background in the person of mrs warnock's only son happily for alan mrs mornington although essentially mundane was not a schemer she had made up her mind that alan was a good deal better than the average young man and that beechurst was quite good enough for her niece whose possessions and expectations were of a very modest order there had been no mock humility in mrs mornington's statement of facts when she told alan that her brother's income from all sources was just big enough to enable him to live respectably at marsh house the foliage was beginning to show gleams of gold and red amidst the sombre green of late summer the hounds were beginning to meet at seven o'clock in the crisper clearer mornings of september and alan carew was beginning to feel himself the bond-slave of a young lady about whose sentiments towards himself he was still entirely in the dark did she care for him much a little not at all alan carew was continually asking himself those questions and there was no oracle to answer him no oracle even in his inner consciousness which told him nothing of suzette's feelings he knew that he loved her but he could recall no word or look of hers which could assure him that she returned his love it was certain that she liked him and that his society was pleasant to her they had an infinite series of ideas in common they thought alike upon most subjects and she seemed no more to weary of his society than he of hers yet there were times when he thought he might have been nearer winning her love had she liked him less her friendship seemed too frank even to ripen into love he would have liked to see her start and blush at his coming she did neither but received him with her airiest grace and had always her laughter ready for his poor jokes her intellect on the alert for his serious speech about books or men she was the most delightful companion he had ever known but a sister could not have been more at her ease with him i sometimes think you take me for one of your old convent friends he said one day when she had prattled to him of her housekeeping and her garden as they walked up and down the long grass alley while the music of the organ came to them now loud with the lessening distance now sinking slowly to silence as they walked further from the house oh no i should never take you for any one so patrician and distinguished as laurie de beauvais or athenaeus de la roche she answered laughingly i should never dare to talk to them about eggs and butter the obstinacy of a cook at twenty-five pounds a year the ignorance of a gardener who is little better than a day-labourer but perhaps i am wrong to talk to you of these everyday cares i will try to talk as i would to athenaeus i will dispute the merit of lamartine's byron as compared with hugo's ode to the king of rome i was for hugo athenaeus for lamartine we used to have terrible battles and now athenaeus is married to a financier and has a palace in the parc monceau and gives balls to all paris and i am living with father in a shabby old house with three maids and a man of all work talk to me as you like he said talk to me as your serf your slave and then without a moment's pause in which to arrange his thoughts surprised into a revelation which he had intended indefinitely to defer he told her that he was in very truth her slave 
and that he must be the most miserable of men if this avowal of his love touched no answering chord in her heart she who was habitually so gay grew suddenly grave almost to sadness and looked at him with an expression which was half frightened half reproachful oh why do you talk like this she cried we have been such friends so happy shall we be less friends or less happy when we are lovers that word when touched her keen sense of the ridiculous when we are lovers she echoed smiling at him you take everything for granted i have no alternative between confidence and despair really really now am i really necessary to your happiness you are my happiness i come here or i go to the grove and i find you and i am happy when i go away i leave happiness behind me except the reflected light of memory except the dreams in which your image floats about me in which i hear your voice the sweet voice that is kinder in my dreams than it ever is in my waking hours surely i am never unkind no but in my dreams you are more than kind you are my own and my love you are what i hope you will be soon suzette soon life's morning is so short let us spend it together they were in the temple at the end of the cypress walk and in that semi-sacred solitude his arm had stolen round her waist his lips were seeking hers gently yet with a force which it needed all her strength to oppose no no you must not i can promise nothing yet i have had no time to think no time oh suzette you must have known for the last six weeks that i adore you indeed i am not vain enough to imagine myself adored i think i knew that you liked me almost from the first liked and admired you from the very first interrupted alan my aunt said things hinted and laughed and was altogether absurd but one's kinsfolk are so vain yes when they have a goddess born among them oh please don't be too ridiculous you know that i like you but as for loving i must have a long long time to think about that you shall think as long as you like so long as you do not withdraw your friendship i cannot live without you why should i cease to be your friend only promise that you will never again talk or behave as foolishly as you have done this afternoon i promise solemnly promise until you give me leave to be foolish he concluded with a touch of tenderness he felt that he had been precipitate that he might by this temerity have brought upon himself banishment from the eden in which he was so happy he had been overbold in thinking that the time which had sufficed for the growth of passionate love on his part was enough to make this charming girl as fond of him as he was of her he was ashamed of his own arrogance the degrees of their merit were so different she a being whom to know was to love he a very commonplace young man suzette was quite as easy in her manner with him after that little outbreak as she had been before he had promised not to renew the attack and in her simple truthfulness she believed all promises sacred between well-bred people mrs mornington dropped in at tea-time ready to drive her niece home it was a common thing now for suzette to spend the whole day at discombe playing classical duets with mrs warnock or sitting quietly by her side reading or musing while she played the organ the girl's religious feeling gave significance to that noble music of the old german and italian masses which to other hearers were only music the acquaintance between the elder woman and the younger had ripened by this time into a friendship which was not without affection mrs warnock is my second aunt and discombe is my second home said suzette explaining the frequency of her visits and the grove does not that count as home asked mrs mornington with an offended air it is so much my home that i don't count it at all it is more like home than marsh house both for father and for me later when the pony carriage was taking on to nice along the road to matcham suzette said suddenly after a silence auntie 
would it be a shock to your nerves if i were to tell you something that happened to-day my nerves are very strong susy what kind of thing was it and did it concern mr carew par exemple how clever you are at guessing yes it was mr carew he proposed to me and of course you accepted him of course oh auntie what do you think i'm made of i've only known him about two months what of that if you had been brought up in the french fashion and a very sensible fashion it is to my thinking you would have only seen him two or three times before you marched up to the altar with him surely you did not reject him i may not have said positively no but i told him that it was much too soon that i could not possibly love him after such a short acquaintance and that if we were to go on being friends he must never speak of such a thing again never i think the word was never or at any rate for a long long time and he promised he will keep his promise no doubt well suzette all i can say is that you must be very difficult to please i don't believe there is another girl in matcham who would have refused alan carew what are all the young ladies in matcham so much alike that the same young man would suit them all have they no individuality they have individuality enough to know a good young man with an excellent position in life when they see one i believe your father will be as disappointed as i am disappointed because i am not in a hurry to leave him i don't know my father if he is capable of such unkindness suzette that little mind of yours is full to the brim of high-flown notions retorted her aunt impatiently dear auntie surely you are not angry yes susy i am angry because i have a very high opinion of alan carew i consider him a pearl among young men really aunt and if he were a poor curate or a barrister without what do you call him briefs yes briefs would he be a pearl then he would be just as good a young man but not a husband for you don't expect romantic ideas from me suzette if i ever was romantic it was so many years ago that i have quite forgotten the sensation and you cannot conjure back your youth in order to understand me said her niece musingly you are not like mrs warnock whose mind seems always dwelling upon the past has she talked to you of her youth mrs mornington asked quickly not directly but she has talked vaguely sometimes of feelings long dead and gone of the dead whom she loved her father whom she lost when she was seventeen and whose spirit as she thinks holds communion with her in her long solitary daydreams at the organ he was a musician like herself passionately fond of music i hope you will not take up any of mrs warnock's fads not unless you call music a fad no no music is well enough and i like you to practise and improve your playing but i hope you will never allow yourself to believe in poor mrs warnock's nonsense about spirit rapping and communion with the dead you must see that the poor woman is toquet i see that she is dreamy and i am not carried away by her dreams i think her the most interesting woman i ever met don't be jealous auntie darling i should never be as fond of her as i am of you i hope not only i can't help being interested in her she is simpatica simpatica i hate the word i never heard any one talked of as simpatica who hadn't a bee in her bonnet i really don't know if your father ought to allow you to be so much at the manor i am going to take him to see mrs warnock to-morrow afternoon i know he will be in love with her it would be a very good thing if he were to marry her and make a sensible woman of her mrs warnock with a second husband the idea is hateful she would cease to interest me if she were so commonplace as to marry i prefer her infinitely with what you call her fads crabbed age and youth cannot live together said mrs mornington quoting one of the few poets with whom she had any acquaintance you and i would never think alike i suppose young woman 
and so you refused mr crewe and told him never to talk to you of love or wedlock and you refused beechurst yonder pointing with her whip across the heath to where the white walls of alan crewe's house smiled in the afternoon sunlight i know what your uncle mornington will say when i tell him what a little fool you have been auntie why is it you want me to marry mr carew suzette asked pleadingly is it because he is rich is it for the sake of beechurst no miss minx it is because i believe him to be a good young man a gentleman and as true as steel suzette gave a little sigh and for a minute or so was dumb do you know why i have always been glad that my father is an englishman she asked presently why because he is an englishman i suppose i should think any girl would be english if she could no auntie i am not so proud of my father's country as all that i have been glad of my english father because i knew that english girls are allowed to make their own choice in marriage and a very pretty use you are going to make of your privileges refusing the best young man in the neighbourhood if you were my daughter i should be half inclined to send for one of those whipping ladies we read about and have you brought to your senses that way no you wouldn't auntie you wouldn't be unkind to daughter or to niece well you have your father to account to what will he say i wonder only that his susie is to do just as she likes do you know that i refused a young subaltern up at the hills a young man with an enormous fortune whom ever so many girls were trying to catch girls and widows too he might have had a large choice and what did my brother say to that he only laughed and told me that i knew my own value mrs mornington was thoughtful for the rest of the way perhaps after all it was a good thing for a girl to be difficult to please a girl as bright and as pretty as suzette could afford to give herself airs alan would be sure to propose to her again and then there was geoffrey warnock who was expected home before christmas who could tell if geoffrey might not be as deeply smitten with this charming hybrid as alan and discombe was to beechhurst as sunlight into moonlight in extensiveness and value and yet i would rather she should marry carew mused mrs mornington i should be afraid of young warnock End of chapter seven